This is Real Estate Rookie episode 248. You have to kind of weigh the pros and cons of, you know, the, the risks associated with keeping it in your personal name versus the, the cost of doing it under the LLC. And what you just said, I think is one of the most like missed expenses on a line item when people are analyzing a deal, especially it's your first deal, you are putting it into an LLC. I don't see a lot of people accounting for those fees that you just said of setting up an LLC that's going to eat into your cash flow, maintaining the LLC. It's only $25 in New York 25? State. <laughs> Every year for the annual filing fee. My name is Ashley Kerr and I am live with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Ricky podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I want to start today's episode by shouting out Milkman2333. Milkman left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and said, I owe everything to this podcast. What an amazing show, easy to listen to, and I love when they give updates on themselves. Started listening in May of 2020, and because of them, I had the courage to buy in November 2020. January 21 and September 2021. Trust me and listen. Next up for me is partnership with a silent partner. Thanks, Tony and Ashley. I owe it all to you guys. Well, Milkman, we appreciate that. And, you know, honestly, that's why we do what we do, right? We love hearing stories just like that. So if you haven't yet left us a five star or honest, I should say, rating and review on whatever platform it is you're listening to, do yourself a favor, do us a favor, and, and leave them for us. And that's why me and Tony are geeking out because tonight we are going to a meetup. We are, we are going to get to hear so many inspiring stories from rookie investors and just experienced investors or the motivation and excitement of somebody who's trying to get started in real estate and attends this networking event. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so crazy. Like as much joy as I get from, you know, buying the next property and, you know, getting that listing live and, you know, seeing the returns come in, it it's, it's a different level of fulfillment when I read stories like that and hear people in the rookie audience who say, you know, I was afraid, I was confused, I was lost, I didn't know where to start. And I started yeah. listening to the podcast and now I have one deal, two deals, five deals. And we hear this, these same stories over and over and over again. And it's just such a crazy and humbling kind of position for us to be in. Well, tell everyone about that text that you were telling us about this morning that you got about the person who bought the short-term rental. Yeah. So Olivia Tati, uh, she, she sent me a text over the weekend and, um, she said, Tony, thank you so much for your inspiration, for your, your guidance. Um, she just taken her first listing live and she was like within like the first couple of weeks, our mortgage is covered for like the next couple of months. Right. And they just took the listing live. So hearing stories like that, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. It makes it all worth it. Okay. Well, today we're going to go over, uh, four rookie reply questions. We are going to talk about LLCs, um, putting properties into your personal name and what are some of the, those differences and, you know, what you should consider when deciding to do that. Then we're also going to talk about, uh, financing options. Um, we have, uh, Lisa who gives us a scenario of what her current financial situation is. And we give her some ideas as to how she can tap into some money to buy her first investment property. Yeah. And then we also kind of finish off by talking about what to do at that final stage of your escrow period. Like are there, what, what are those things you should be looking for to make sure you're not stepping into a bad deal? So overall, lots of good questions. Yeah. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests to the maintenance to organizing the cleaners after every guest day, with Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. All right, so let's get into our first question, which comes from Evan Yan. And Evan's question is, what are the best questions to ask a seller during the final walkthrough? Uh, so I can kind of share my experience first. I don't think I've even really seen most of the sellers that I bought my properties from. Um, I'm typically not there during the inspections. Um, if it's a rehab, I, I typically will walk with my my re, with with like my crew. Um, but if it's just like a typical property that we're buying, it's short term rental. I'm almost never there as a during the property inspection. So I don't really ask the seller any questions. What I do use is information from the property inspection report to kind of inform my decisions around like not even what I need to ask the seller, but like, what are the things I need to follow up on? So like, for example, we have a property center contract right now and uh, we had our first inspection come back and there were, there were a lot of question marks. Some of the things that came out of that are, um, do we need to replace the septic? Like the uh, property inspector couldn't get access to the septic tank. It's an older property. We want to know what the condition of that is. We need to follow up with that. Um, there's no working HVAC system. So now we need to go and look at, okay, what, what are we doing to quote out new HVAC? Um, there's a pool in the backyard that's been filled with dirt. Um, what is it going to cost for us to go out and get that pool brought back to life? Um, so I think the property inspection honestly is going to give you a lot of the questions that you need to ask yourself 
when it comes to purchasing this property? What do you think, Ash? Yeah, and to kind of get technical, when I hear the word final walkthrough, mm-hmm. I think of you're about you're ready to close the next day and you're doing one final walkthrough of the property. So I don't know if that's what they mean or just any kind of walkthrough of the property after you've gotten it under contract, but mm-hmm. I typically don't see a lot of the sellers either doing mm-hmm. those processes, even if I am going to the property myself, a lot of times the sellers aren't there. So if it's an off-market deal, it most likely is the seller taking you through the property again. But um, I would say you can get a lot of information just from listening and not even asking questions from the seller. But everything they say anyways, make sure you're verifying that information too. So just some typical things that you can ask about the property if you did do an inspection. What are you know? Ask them about these issues, these problems that came up. If they have any more information about it? Um, are there any things, any kind of um, routine maintenance that they currently do on the property that you should be aware of? And then um, just maybe the history of the property too, finding out things like that. But as far as if it's the final walkthrough, it's a day before closing. Um, I don't see a lot of questions that you could ask because you're already forced to close. Yeah, you're, you're pretty anyways. close. <laughs> um, one thing I will add is sometimes you do get value by talking to the tenants. Um, yes. so that property that we did walk yesterday, that the owner wasn't there, but the mm-hmm. tenant was there and she gave up some information around like, you know, some deferred maintenance and things that she had noticed about the property. So, you know, sometimes if you talk to the tenant at the property, they can give you maybe more information than even the, the actual owners can. Yeah. I love when tenants are home and I see a property. <laughs> yeah. I feel Ashley very uncomfortable on, so. that I'm walking through because I do feel a lot of tenants. It's a hard situation for them, mm. not knowing who's going to buy it, what's going to happen. Are yep. they going to have to move? Right. And that can be very uncomfortable coming in as a potential buyer and just, uh, being in that situation. So, um, but I do think you can get tons of information from the tenant. And what I do too, is I ask the seller once, once I have it under contract, if I can send an estoppel agreement to the tenants. And this basically is a form that the tenants are going to fill out with their contact information. And then, um, what the terms of their lease agreement are, if they own any of the appliances, what utilities they pay, do they have any pets, just all the information about them that would typically be on a rental application or be in their lease agreement. And then I also compare that to either what the owner, the seller had said, or what is in the lease agreement. Um, Another thing I asked too is, what are repairs and maintenance that need to be done to the property? And you usually hear an earful of repairs (laughs) that, you know, actually need to be made or just improvements that they would like seen done to the property too. So Evan, hopefully that helps answer the question for you. But again, um, everything we shared, I think is what you want to lean on. But to me, tenants, inspection reports, Mm -hmm. that's where you're going to get a lot of golden information. Okay. Next up. Oh, you know what? Actually, before we go to the next one, I'm going to say one more thing about that information on the property. The last thing I will say is Google the address of the property. That's a great idea. Because I had a wholesaler try to sell me a property and I, you know what? I just knew that I had seen that property somewhere and the address of it looks so familiar. So I Googled it and it had been a math meth lab. I remember it being in the news that they had busted this house. And when you cook meth in a property, you have to do some kind of remediation to make it safe from all the chemicals in there. So just Googling a property's address can give you information on the property too. Yeah, just like <laughs> imagine like going to list that property for rent 
and like you, you throw, you know, one, two, three Main Street, and yeah. then potential tenants type in one, two, three Main Street, and yeah. the first thing that pops up is like Meth House. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'd want to A, know about that before the tenants, and B, be able to say, like, I know we took care of it. Here's what we did. It's, you know, it's like brand new XYZ. Right. And but. it was a wholesaler trying to sell it. So the fact the wholesaler hadn't even Googled the address and was trying to, yeah. you know, sell the property to somebody else, um, he did not know anything about that. And I don't think he was ever able to get rid of that property. property. Probably <laughs> fell out of contract. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. The next question is from Caitlin Latour. Question for anyone with experience with mid-size multi-commercial. Is it appropriate to ask the listing agent for financials upfront, like before even seeing the property? Or is that information only disclosed during due diligence period? In other words, how much information can I ask for upfront? I'd love to base analysis on actuals, trying to determine what is customary so I can ask the best questions and make the best impression with the seller. Thanks all. So I actually did this today. Someone sent me a campground for sale and immediately I emailed requesting the financials on the property and then said, I would like to review those before I go and see the property because I think there's so much more information you gather from the numbers on the property that you can see kind of an idea of, okay, this is where it makes sense. Is it even worth me going to the property to look at it um, and kind of doing some due diligence uh, beforehand. Yeah, I think in the commercial space, most brokers almost expect potential buyers to request financial information. Usually you will have to submit or, or sign some kind of like non-disclosure agreement or NDA. Um, but as soon as you sign that, most brokers will send you, um, you know, a trailing 12 for like, hey, here's a property over the last 12, 12 months. Um, they might send you tax returns, just anything they have, P&Ls um, regarding the property and the owner's financials. Um, because yeah, for a commercial property, you almost do need that information to be able to even make a an informed offer around what you're willing to pay for it. Because if you think it's doing X, but in reality, it's doing Y, um, when you go to purchase that property, get debt, whatever it is, it's going to be far more difficult for you. So I think that is common for commercial. Yeah. And especially if there's leases on the property too, you want to get copies of the leases and know what the rent is now on the property and how long of a term you're going to be stuck with that rental income. Cause you could, you could know projections that the market rent for this size unit is X amount, but it could be way undervalued and they still have 12 more months left on their lease. And you're going to have to carry that property along those 12 months at that lower rental income, which would vastly um, decrease your cash flow uh, over that time. So completely appropriate. And I highly recommend asking for the financials upfront. I have had times where the agent has said they don't really have financials. You know, it's a mom and pop self storage facility where right. they go there the first Sunday of the month, collect, you know, the rent and cash. But that gives you actually more leverage. leverage. So that's where you go to the realtor. Well, are they um, going to be accepting seller financing offers since this would be a hard property for a bank to finance with no financials and a track record? Yeah, and just to like break down what Ashley's saying, like most commercial lenders, when they're lending on self-storage, mm -hmm. large apartment complexes, whatever it is, they're not looking at Ashley and Tony as the borrowers to mm -hmm. say, will we give you this debt? What they're looking at is what is the current and historical performance of that property and can the performance support the debt that we're going to give you guys. So we ran into this issue a lot as we were looking for hotels this past year to try and purchase is that a lot of them were small mom and pops that had 
terrible books or no books whatsoever. And because of that, most banks weren't willing to lend on those properties. Banks want to see stabilized assets. But to your point, it did give us leverage because we got multiple seller financed offers um, that sellers were willing to entertain because they knew that that was the only way they were going to sell that property. So yeah, to kind of end that out is to, it's completely appropriate to ask for those kind of things. Um, the as much as you, information as you want before you're even under contract, if that's what you need to run your numbers, because you don't want to be stuck estimating something that you could verify before you make that offer. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. All right, well, let's jump into the next question. This one comes from Cade Bigelow. Cade says, I'm super new to this. I just found out about Bigger Pockets a few weeks ago, but what is the importance of putting your home under an LLC instead of your personal name? Is that something you should do, uh, that everyone should do, or only in certain situations? So Ash and I both kind of come from different ends of the spectrum where almost none of my long-term holds are under my personal, or are under my LLC, and Ash is on the opposite end where almost all of yours are under LLCs, yeah. right? So I'll kind of talk about it from my perspective of why I didn't, and then Ash can talk about maybe why why you okay. did go that way. Um, for us, a lot of the, the debts that we were using 
didn't allow us to purchase it using a um, an LLC. We got personal debt, which meant we had to hold those titles in our personal names. Um, now we could have gone back and um, you know updated those loans. Um, I'm sorry, updated the titles on those properties after we closed to change ownership from our personal names to our LLC and then kept the debt on our personal names. We just haven't done that. Um, instead, what we opted to do was to get an umbrella policy. Um, so we have uh, debt titles and our personal names. Then we have this umbrella policy that gives us that additional layer of protection in addition to our like our home insurance. Um, so for us, what was more important was getting the, the most favorable debt terms. And in order to get that, we had to under our personal personal names. Yeah. For my properties, when I first started out investing, I wanted that nice 30 year fixed, <laughs> you know, low interest rate. So I did a lot of the rentals that I owned myself and my personal name. Then every time I have a partner, I put that partner into an LLC. So any properties we buy together go into that LLC with partner A. Anything I buy with partner B goes into that LLC together. Um, and then we typically get commercial financing on those properties. I have found one bank that would lend me on the residential side for um, putting a property into an LLC. It was not a 30-year fix, but it was a 25-year fix. But at the time, interest rates were around like 4.5% if I would have done it in my personal name. And they charge us 7.375%. So it almost would have been better off going to the commercial side and getting it fixed for five years to have that that lower interest rate. But, um, you know, once again, the mistakes you make as a rookie investor. So typically mine are in an LLC for the liability protection, um, especially with having partners. I never recommend that you go on title in your personal name with somebody else in their personal name too. Uh, so I like having that liability protection is the biggest thing why my properties are in an LLC. And then I'm mostly doing commercial lending at this point. I, I think the other thing to consider too, Kate, is like the additional cost that comes a, along with LLCs mm -hmm. because in California, um, I don't know, I think our attorney charge is like 1200 bucks to like just follow the paperwork, set everything up. And then every year it's like $800 to just to maintain the LLC. You have your additional tax returns you have to file every year for your LLC, your QuickBooks subscriptions for each LLC. The bookkeeping becomes a little bit more expensive because there's multiple files that your bookkeepers are working with. So there definitely is an additional cost um, to having multiple LLC. So you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons of, you know, the, the risks associated with keeping it in your personal name versus the, the cost of doing it under the LLC. And you can also get umbrella insurance if you do have it in your personal name. And that's what I did was get an umbrella insurance policy that basically on top of your um, landlord policy that covers the rental, you have another higher coverage so that if you are sued, there's more money that the insurance company would pay out to protect you in a lawsuit. And what you just said, I think is one of the most like missed expenses on a line item when people are analyzing a deal, especially it's your first deal. You are putting it into an LLC. I don't see a lot of people accounting for those fees that you just said of setting up an LLC that's going to eat into your cash flow, maintaining the LLC. It's only $25 in New York 25? State <laughs> every year for the annual Jeez. filing fee. But 800 in California. It's about $800 to start it, yeah. the, the LLC with total fees, but with, um, to do the every year, it's only $25 wow. per an LLC. But yeah, if you have that $800, that's a huge chunk of your cash flow potentially mm -hmm. to have that. And I don't think a lot of people run that, the cost of that business. And then of course, as you grow your portfolio, you can spread that number out 
among your units if they're all in that same LLC, but definitely something to think about too, for sure. Kate, I, I think my last piece of advice would be if having this LLC set up is the only thing that's preventing you from submitting offers, just, just put the offers in, mm-hmm. right? You can always go back and adjust title later down the road. If you find a lender that says, hey, you need an LLC set up to get this kind of debt, then handle that during your escrow period. But I think what's more important for you, Kate, is getting those offers in, finding that first deal and, and just getting started. Okay. So our next question is from Lisa Ann. What is the best way to determine lending when you have no cash down? All my money is invested in stocks right now. I have equity in my home and decent credit. Do you borrow from your own home, get private lending, then refinance? Is there anything that prohibits you from buying more properties afterwards? Do you apply in your own name or create an LLC? What is the best resource to research options in your state? Thank you. So the first thing that I think of when I see this is that she has money invested in stocks. So if those are not in a retirement account and they're just in a brokerage account, then you are able to go and get a line of credit against those stocks. So instead of having your home as collateral, if you went and put a line of credit on that or a mortgage on that, your stocks are actually going to be the collateral. So there are limits, like you have to have at least over $100,000 in value, I believe. And it probably differs on you know what bank you go with to do this, but there are limitations on it. But it's usually a very low interest rate because your collateral is so liquid, where if you do not repay your debt, the bank isn't foreclosing on a property and then having to resell it. They're basically just cashing out your stocks and taking that money and running. So there's a lot less risk for them. And that way you're getting a better interest rate. So I would say that would be your first option is getting a line of credit against your stocks. Um, people, you may have heard people do this with their 401k where they get, um, they take a loan from their 401k. The difference is when you're doing the line of credit against your stocks is your stocks are still invested. You're not touching them. So you still have, you know, that kind of separate income accumulating over there and you're not pulling it out where when you take a loan from your 401k, you're actually drawing the money out of the stock market to borrow from it, and then you're repaying it back. Good side, you're paying yourself back the interest and putting it back into your 401k, but you're losing that investment strategy. And I always love to diversify. <laughs> yeah, it's two really great points, Ashley. On the on the line of credit side, um, you, you're exactly right. Like I have a line of credit with E-Trade and we use that to fund some of our real estate stuff. And um, like literally, like if you're like even even as the market fluctuates, right? Like if they see that your your stock portfolio starts to decrease to a certain level, they won't even ask you. They'll just sell your stocks and they'll recoup whatever funds they need. So that that is one of the not risks, but you know, it's really how the bank mitigates their risk when they're lending this money to you. But like you said, the interest rates are so incredibly low on that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's almost like free money. Um, and we use that to fund, I think, two of our initial deals when we were out in uh, out in Louisiana. And the four hundred one k piece. Yeah, it sucks that you're pulling your money out and you're not gaining on that, but it is also better than taking those penalties and like just pulling that cash out. So a lot of times when people ask me like, hey, should I cash out my 401k? I was like, I mean, it's an option, but if you can get a loan, you know, even if you can't access all of that capital, maybe it's some of that Mm -hmm. capital, at least you're not paying those penalties on pulling that money out and you're paying yourself back. So it's still going to grow. And then the next question is, um, is there anything that prohibits you from buying more properties afterwards? So 
she had kind of talked about, you know, if she did this line of credit. Um, so the only thing that would happen is depending what path she chooses, whether it's refinancing or primary, is that your debt to income would be affected because you have now taken out a, a loan on the property and you now have that debt repayment. So that would affect your debt to income. So you would just have to look at what would that repayment amount be? What is your income? And would you stay under the bank's requirement, the threshold? Do you know off the top of your head what the requirement is right now for a DTI for most banks? No, I haven't applied for a loan in a little while. So yeah, me either. Just on the sure. commercial yeah. side, but they don't, they don't ask. Yeah. Um, the, the only other thing that I'd, I'd add there too, right, when we're thinking about like, you know, kind of how to set this up, you're, you're talking about lines of credit, uh, Lisa, and, and in my mind, I think the best way to leverage a line of credit is if you're doing some kind of burr. So if you're buying a, a distressed property, you're rehabbing it, and then you're refinancing to input some kind of long-term fixed debt. Um, because like, say that you say that you do this with just like a, a traditional line of credit and you go out and you buy a turnkey property. Now your capital that you invest into that turnkey deal is essentially stuck in that property for who knows how long. And most lines of credit aren't infinitely open, right? Okay. Um, so they, at some point you have to pay them back and it could just get into your cash flows way. So in my mind, the ideal way to do it is you take your, your line of credit or, or whatever it is you're doing, use that to buy a distressed asset, rehab it, fix it up, put in some long-term fixed debt, repay yourself and then pay down that line of credit. And now you can recycle that line over and over again. Yeah, I just looked it up. I, according to Google, the um, on average, lenders like to see a 43% debt to income or less. Yeah. So that means that say you make a thousand bucks a month, your debt obligation should be $430 or less. So if you're at 431 or higher, that's where banks start to have some, some concern. Okay. And then we kind of already touched on this. Do you apply in your home name or create an LLC on the last question? Um, so I'd refer back to that one and see which one kind of fits for you. Um, and then what is the best resource to research options in your state? So I think all of the questions that were asked can kind of be general over every state that there's not really state specific on types of ways or which strategy you should go to pull money out of your brokerage or your investments. I think the last thing, and Lisa didn't even really ask this, but if you find a killer deal, uh, Lisa, and say you don't have the capital to take it down, and maybe some of these more creative uh, options aren't working for you, then find a partner, mm -hmm. right? And that's what Ashley and I did when we had, we found these amazing deals at the beginning of our real estate deals. We didn't have the capital to take it down. We found a partner. Yeah. Um, so look for someone in your network that maybe has an interest in investing in real estate, but doesn't have the time, desire, ability to do it themselves, but they have the capital. Okay. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's Rookie Reply. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. Make sure you guys check us out on YouTube and subscribe to The Real Estate Rookie and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We'll be back on Wednesday with a guest. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. 
With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.